The scripture reading is Genesis 12, 2 and 3. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is the word of the Lord. This morning is the third of what will be 13 sermons across the summer on the life of Abram, the man who became Abraham, and the Lord takes him on a wild adventure. It's a wild adventure he goes on. We've had more children in the worship service all summer um, as elementary classes are suspended, and so if you want to draw a picture, if that helps you focus on the sermon, whether you're child or adult, um, there's some in the pew to um, paper to do that on. The idea that you might draw, and it relates to what Phil was praying about, which is um, just a way that you've been blessed by God, something you enjoy doing. Maybe draw a picture of that, a blessing you have, or something you enjoy doing. We're going to be talking about that this morning. If you would join me in prayer, we'll pray as we turn our attention to the passage that was read. Heavenly Father, we we pray that through the gathering of your people, through the songs that are sung, through the scripture that is read and preached, through the laughter and the tears, that you would shape us into the people you desire us to be. Lord, as we celebrate communion, as we encourage one another, as we challenge one another, uh, would you come and, as we said earlier, sang earlier, have your way among us. For your glory and our good, we pray. Amen. Last year, we had a series of town halls through the fall, um, especially clustered around one weekend. We were getting our church together to talk about things that were happening among us, most especially the church plant that then felt a year away and now feels much, much closer. And as we were talking about the church plant, we, we mentioned a number of setbacks that we've felt over the last six years, especially the setback that was the COVID era. And... At the meetings, those town hall meetings, I asked us to consider as a church, generally speaking, why we as a church had more health than some churches as we came out of COVID. Like, Why were we, to some degree, more healthy? Now, I clarified that we were, I assumed and believed, we were not the only one who was a healthy church out of COVID, not at all. Nor did I say we were the most healthy. I'm very sure that is not the case. But I was asking the question of, of, of why that was true. I have friends who are pastors who, who had, in some ways, hard experiences, just like we had hard experiences, but their experiences were, were even much harder. Why, why did we come out of that with the blessings of people and dollars and gospel preaching and discipleship and outreach and this increased desire to make Jesus known and loved. Why why did that happen? Was it because we were smarter than other churches? Maybe our leadership was more wise and godly. Maybe our leaders figured out this right, you know, 
balance of masks or no masks, vaccines or no vaccines, or to talk about that in the right amount, or to not talk about it at all. Uh, or maybe we had clearer insights into the political scene, and we were able to navigate the racial tensions that flared up across the country and the city. Maybe our church membership, maybe you all were, were more wise and godly. Maybe our membership was more generous and kind and faithful and courageous and pursuing of unity than other congregations. Maybe we were more willing to look to the interests of others more than our own interests than other congregations were. And that's why we came out of COVID with this measure of church health. I'm not sure we were all of those things, to be honest. That we were more faithful and wise and godly and pursuing of unity. I, I, I will tell you, I think of you as a generous and faithful congregation. I, I really do think of us that way. But if, if those things were true, or even partly true, the question would then be even why were they true? Not just why did we have more health, but why did we have the things that then lended themselves to more health? I'll ask it another way. For what purpose has God blessed us with church health? At the town hall meetings, I, I gave an answer to that question. It's my attempt at an answer to that question, I think it's the same answer to the, to the question of why we have ears and can hear eyes that can see, legs that can walk, and for some of us even run, why we have money and jobs and friends and education and a church family. I believe it's the same answer for why God gave Abram everything that he was given that shows up here in these verses that Joy read a moment ago. Now, we're going to take a few minutes to study this, but I, I'll just give you the answer that this passage gives right up front, and that is this. To whatever extent God has blessed us, he's done it so that we would be a blessing to others. That's, that's, that's the reason. That's what comes out of this story of this man called Abram. To whatever extent God has blessed us as a church or blessed you as an individual Christian, it's not merely for your own sake or our own sake. It's so that we would be a blessing to others. That's what this passage is about. Rather than hoarding God's blessing, he wants us to share them. So that's what we're going to see this passage is about. But before we see that the blessings we have were to share, I, I, I want to spend some time just reflecting on, because I think the passage does this as well, all the blessings we do have in Christ, things we could never earn, never earn. Consider how Abram's story begins. Two weeks ago, we saw that God chose this man, Abram, when Abram was far from God, we might say very far, Abram, like his father and his wife and the people in all the cities around him, worshipped the moon. Just let that sink in for a minute. This great Jewish patriarch named Abraham was himself, at first, thoroughly pagan. Until he wasn't. We saw this at the end of chapter 11. God called him out of that. And with this call that Pastor Ben was preaching in Genesis 12, 1, we see that God, God is changing him. He's 
calling him to something challenging and hard, but he's, he's, he's beginning to make him into the type of person as he responds to God's grace who can do these sorts of things. Let's read verse 1 again. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Pastor Ben pointed out last week, this, this was no small command. All, once, all that Abram once held dear, he had to count as loss for the sake of following God. The protection of his father's house, the monetary security that came with his father's protection, he was told to leave. And God commanded him to leave the country that he knew and the place that he was born, the friends that he had. The obedience required here was no small thing for Abram. But what I want to point out is that God, he he really only had to say go, and Abram should have gone. If God says go, we should go. Think back to the beginning of Genesis, right? God says to the light, go, shine. And what does it do? Right, it shines. And God says to the land, you go here, you start here and you go there. He says to the water, you, you go here and your boundary is here. And all those things, the land and the water, what do they do? They obey. They go where they're supposed to go. When God, who created everything and owns everything, says go, that's the end of the debate. Or it should be the end of the debate. Really, there should be no debate. When we, God says go, we should go. God says to Abram, go, and he should go. But I bring this up to highlight the grace that follows in these promises. Yes, Abraham should just go, but poor guy, he hardly knows anything of God, at least at this point. He's probably worried about what will happen to him when he goes. He's not even given all the information to where he should go. He's just told to go to the land that I will show. He doesn't even know where that land will be at the time he's supposed to get up and leave. And I know we're going through these early passages about Abram slowly. Maybe some feel like too slowly. Okay, can't we just get to the more of the story, more of the story? Why are we going so slow? But we need to just sit here and see what God is doing. He's so gracious. God does not merely tell us to go and follow him. He does do that, but he says so much more. God promises his people so much. Look what he tells them, verses 2 and 3. I will make of you a great nation. He could have just said go, but he says, I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. It's difficult to even tease out the different nuances to the blessings that Abram is told here because they just layer on top of each other so thick. Five times in just these few verses, the word blessing is used. Yes, God told him to go, but he said so much more, so many blessings, all of grace. Consider these lines about making Abram's name great. 
Remember, this comes right after Genesis 11, the story of the Tower of Babel. I read all of that a few weeks ago, but let me just read verse 4 of chapter 11. If you have the Bible open, just see it written there. Verse 4, it's in the middle of this story of the Tower of Babel. The people, they're, they're, they're gathering together and they're coming together. And in verse 4, they say, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Consider all that effort, all the labor, all the general contractors and change orders and earth moving and foundation digging and all the architectural design, the fundraising, the scaffolding that's erected as they're building this tower, the the materials that were collected to build this building, the bricks that were going to make this tower to the heavens. And then in verse 5, the irony of it. After all that effort, God, who is in heaven, what does it say? He has to come down and see this tower that they're building. It doesn't quite make it to the heavens, does it? They're trying in vain to build a name for themselves. I say, maybe some of you know that exhaustion of working as hard as you can and it's not working. The Tower of Babel and this promise that Abram received function as reminders to Christians that God gives what we could never earn. Do you think Abram would have ever imagined that 4,000 years later, so 2,000 years to the time of Christ and 2,000 years after Jesus. Do you think, do you think that Abram, 4,000 years ago, could have ever imagined looking into the future and this place called Harrisburg, which he couldn't have imagined, there would be a church talking about him and what God did through him? There's nothing Abram could have done in and of himself that would have caused his name to become this great. Abram could not have imagined making himself great the way that God made him great, especially with his pagan background. I think people often wrongly think, when we think about the Old and the New Testament, we even talk about it that way as though it weren't just one story. I know it's helpful to think about in different chunks, but, but we think about the Old Testament and, 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 and as though grace shows up in the New Testament. That's not true. To know God truly, whether in the Old Testament or the New Testament, is to know grace, to know God's unmerited favor. And I know this isn't said exactly in our passage here, but as we were to widen out across all that the Bible has to say to us as believers who follow in Abram's footsteps, it would be saying that we have, if we were to look into the future 4,000 years, we could not imagine what God would do, and the ways that God would bless us. We, we have no ideas. To use the language that Paul tells the church in Ephesians, God is going to do more than we could ever ask or imagine. Heaven will be brighter and more beautiful than we could ever imagine. And consider these promises of blessing and protection. Look at verse 3 again. It says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. That's pretty important to Abram. 
I mean, put yourself in his sandals. If you're going to walk 800 miles from Ur to a city called Haran, and then you're going to walk 600 miles to the land of Canaan, and you're going to do all that through desert and dangers, you're going to need God to protect you. I know we don't know this geography very well. I'll put it like this. Later this summer, the youth group is going to go on a mission trip to Miami. It's about the same distance when you add all that up. Now, we're going to go in high-quality vans with capable drivers. But imagine if we just said, we're just going to walk. We're just going to go ahead and walk to Miami. Now, as parents or people, other responsible adults here, you'd be saying, that sounds crazy. I mean, one for the distance of it all, right? But also the, the danger. We're just going to release our kids and go walk all the way to, yeah, we'll just walk the beach. We'll just walk the coast, right? That'll work out fine. You say, we're not sure, you know, all that conversation about leaders being godly and wise, we're pretty sure that's not true, <laughs> right? You're not walking to Miami. But if we were going to do such a thing, we'd want to know that God was going to protect us. Church, in a similar way, aren't these the promises in some way that we receive through God and the gospel? At the end of the service two weeks ago, Matt, as he was reading the benediction, read from Romans 8, where Paul just, just in light of what God has done for us in Christ, Paul just erupts to say, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Not tribulation or distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. He says, no, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Think how these promises would have filled Abram with wonder and awe. How they would have quickened his step. The blessings as God just layers them on thick, fivefold. Again, God could have just said go, and Abram should have gone, but he does so much more. Maybe some of you who have walked with God for many years, you've lost sight of this joy, this wonder, these blessings that we have in Christ. Maybe you didn't mean it to happen, but it's happened. I mean, last week we had child dedications. I was away, but I watched them online, and I know the five families who brought their young children, and they stood up here on the stage in their Sunday best, and I know part of child dedication, it's serious and weighty, and, and Mike, you, you read, a, you know, you tell the members to stand up, and we read this promise, and it's, it's, it's serious, right? It's also goofy and fun and cute. <laughs> you see the kids up on stage, one of them grabs a microphone and tries to eat it, and you know, the watching of parents try to parent <laughs> on stage, right? I don't know what happened during second service, but there's usually some girl in a dress and she's flirting around the moms trying to tell her to keep it down. And it's like, you know, that, that, that's what it, it, it's, it's fun. There's life and excitement and joy that come with ha having young children. It's a beautiful thing. Probably, though, You've heard older parents say lines, something to the effect to younger parents. Maybe you've even said it yourself. Well, enjoy it while it's young because they'll be teenagers someday, right? Why do we do this? Like, serious question. Why, why, why is it that we do this? Why do we feel the need to look out at Parents who are full of joy and life and excitement and this horizon of opportunity opening up in front of them and throw this wet blanket on them. 
We, we don't just do it with young kids. Many times we'll look at new Christians, like Abram, who are overjoyed with salvation that God has worked in their life and say, they, they, just, they just feel how they're saved from sin and death and now the attributes of God, his holiness and love and justice, God's sovereign power, they, they just feel riveting to these new Christians and they wake up in the morning and, and are reading the Bible and it's fresh and exciting because the stories are so new and we look at them and say, yeah, 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 yeah but that, it's, it's all going to get hard. Why do we do that? I know the reason. You know the reason too. We get older. Life gets harder. We see more of the grind and less of the glory. We can see the worst parts of people. Sometimes the worst parts of pastors and churches. We can become cynical and bitter and tired and callous. I just, I just want, just thinking about the ways that God blesses Abraham, I just wanted us to pause and consider who sees reality more clearly? Is it this bright-eyed, newly awakened believer who is full of joy in Christ and, and feeling the salvation of the Lord? Or the mature believer who's tired and cranky? Who sees reality better? Somehow in Christ, there must be a way to mature, to grow, to deepen our faith without losing joy, without losing the vibrancy, without losing the sight of the blessings that we have in Christ. And I just point this out because in Abram's story, here at this moment, he, he feels blessings, he feels joy, he feels the wind of God's spirit blowing him along. Yeah, he's going to have to do some hard things, and he's going to mature over the years, but it's, it's this moment in these very promises that God will have to keep calling him back to over and over again. In fact, we could say, in fact, we're going to see next week that when he loses his way, it's because he's forgotten these promises that have caused him to lose his way. So this brings up to the last point. This will be shorter. What, what are these blessings for? What is this gospel joy for? What is this spiritual health for in Abram's life? Was it merely for Abram's greatness? It was not. Look at verses 2 and 3 again. Let me read them one more time. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. The answer to the question of what blessings are for are right here on the page. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing, God says. One pastor, as he was preaching this passage, he looked out at his congregation and just asked the question, what blessings do you have? What blessings have you received? Perhaps if you're drawing pictures, what, what, what picture did you drew, draw that feels like God has blessed you with this because you enjoy that or you're good at it or you just receive it from the Lord as a blessing? What have you received and how might you be able to use that for others? God's blessings are not to be hoarded. 
I mean, think what would have happened if Abram would have hoarded God's blessing. Would we be talking about him today? Fifteen years ago, my family lived, we, we lived in another part of the country. We had this neighbor we didn't know very well, but it sure seemed was just becoming whatever it means to be a hoarder. That's what it felt like she was becoming. Just stuff started piling up. You could see it in the windows through the house. And the door, when it would open, you would see the piles and piles of stuff. Her car that she would park on the street began to get more and more full till a point where I was like, I don't even know if it's safe to drive that car. And I'm not smart enough to know all the psychological reasons that might happen to a person, but I do know that's not what God intends for his people. Let me read verses four through nine. This is kind of the fuller part of our passage. If we were going one to nine, look, look what happens when Abram receives these promises and he sets out to follow God. What happens in these next few verses? So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and he Lot went with him, this is his nephew. Lot's father had passed away and Abram, when all the blessings he received, he pulls Lot in and says, I, I got you, come with me. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem and to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And the Lord, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on to the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east and the Lord or excuse me, and there built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord and Abram journeyed on going toward the Negev notice something about these cities God is fulfilling the promise to show Abram the land remember in verse 1 God says go to the land I will show you well, now he's traveled to Shechem. It's about 40 miles north of Jerusalem. Then he travels to a place further south. It's about 10 miles north of Jerusalem. And then he goes to what is called the Negev. It's this southern region. It's the, the, the kind of the borderland at the promise, the edge of the promised land. And again, this geography is foreign to us. But what is the point? The point is that God is keeping his promises. And what happens when Abram goes to the land Abram's blessed with wealth and animals and property and people. In verse 5, we, we speaks of those people he acquired in Haran that was much farther north. Now, we don't know how he acquired them. Did he, were these employees? Were they slaves? Were they people who saw the business and wealth and prosperity and they attached himself to this patriarch? Maybe some of that. Several Hebrew scholars, they look at the way the Hebrew is worded and it almost seems like these were converts that Abram won to the Lord from the pagan cities he traveled through. Regardless, Abram's certainly living out his faith in very public ways. He's a blessing to others. In these verses, we see him build two altars, one in verse 7 in the city of Shechem, and then later an altar in verse 8 near the city called Bethel. And just two chapters later, 
we read this detail, 14, 14, chapter 14, verse 14, that he has 100, or 318 men who are trained warriors that are in his kind of household that travel with him. Now, we don't know back in chapter 12 if he had that many. Probably he had less. But that just gives a picture of that when Abram rolls into town, <laughs> it's not just him and his wife and Lot and a couple camels or donkeys or sheep. This is an entourage. And where he goes, the blessings of God goes. And he builds an altar. Like, I'm just to say, you don't roll into town with 318 trained warriors build a public altar and start offering sacrifices to the Lord. And that, that's not, like that, that, that doesn't go unnoticed. And I bring that up to say that these weren't private devotions. All the blessings that God poured into Abram's life, they become public affairs for the blessing of the community around him to point people to Yahweh and the goodness of the Lord. And I just ask the question here as we're closing. What blessings has God poured into your life that you might need to share with others? What altars do you need to build? Now, don't hear that the wrong way. We're not building altars. No one's sacrificing anything. But what public ways, maybe among your workplace or teammates or students you go to school with or people you have a summer job with in your retirement communities, on the golf course, what, what, what are public places that you can build as altars to the Lord? Say, God, God has blessed me, and I, I want you to know that the blessings I have in my life, they come from him. I didn't do this. That's what the story of Abram is about. And as he does this, God just pours more and more blessings in. As we prepare our hearts for communion, I would say that if there was ever someone who was blessed to bless others, it was Jesus. It was Jesus. Jesus is even hinted at in this passage. We read that through the promise of Abraham, becomes Abraham, he's Abram, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. That's a way looking forward to the children upon children upon children to the very special child who is Jesus that would come from Abram's line. And the blessings we receive through him. I want to invite the music team to come forward and those who are going to help serve communion. Um, I'm going to pray in just a moment as they're coming forward. Let me just give a few instructions. Um, communion at our church is open to anyone who, like Abram, knows that they don't deserve God's blessing, but they receive God's blessing all of grace, who we know more especially through Jesus. If you'd rather not take communion this morning, you're, you're free to just sit there and pray and think. No one will think anything of that. As others come down the center aisle and serve, we're going to place the bread in your hand and if you would take a cup of juice and then just hang on to it till we've all been served. Communion is in many ways a serious time, right? It's serious and sober, just like child dedication. But when understood rightly, it's to be a time of joy. As we think about all that God has done for us in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you that when 
you save us and change us and call us to be your people. That relationship with you doesn't just go neutral. But as we read earlier in the scripture passage from 1 Corinthians 13, it's your, your love for us is patient and kind. You don't keep a record of wrongs. Lord, may that message of blessing and salvation change us. We pray this in Christ's name.